following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning, everybody. I will be starting by reading from Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And today we'll be... Uh, lighting three candles, and today we light the pink candle, which is also known as the shepherd's candle. And this candle is pink to symbolize rose, the liturgical color for joy. And the third Sunday of Advent is meant to remind us of the joy that the world experienced at the birth of Jesus, as well as the joy that we share that Jesus came for ordinary people, for all of us. So we're going to read from Isaiah 12, verses 2 through 6. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the nations. Proclaim that his name is is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And now if you'll abide with me just a moment longer, we will read the gospel reading from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people, people were, were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the, his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Thank you, Dan. I was looking at the, the liturgy today and uh, before service, and I saw, wow, Dan has, to, Dan has to say a lot there. And I asked him, is that okay? Do you mind that you're saying all that much stuff? You're getting that much camera time? And he's like... I believe his exact words were, have you met me? (laughs) 
um, grateful for your contributions, Dan. Thank you. And actually, uh, I had already planned a little um, kind of pre-sermon Advent reflection. This doesn't have anything to do with the texts that we're reading today, um, not directly anyway. Um, but uh, it's something that's been on my mind, and I wanted to share it with you, and then, then we will get into the texts. Um, by the way, I'm seeing a comment in Zoom that we can't hear very well, so let us know if that's still happening. There's multiple people reporting that volume is really low, so we're going to try to address that for you, and um, um, please let us know if you don't see an improvement in a, in a minute or two. So here's the thing that happened, um, and it actually has to do with, with Dan, which is why it's kind of funny that it came up. Um, I didn't ask permission to share this anecdote, but it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty tame. I mean, not like every anecdote, but this one is. So we were trick-or-treating, um, my family and I, uh, on um, Halloween, as it happens. And uh, we, we, we were uh, going around the, um, the neighborhoods here, and some of the artists and folks live pretty close to the church. Um, I live pretty close to the church building. And uh, so when we get to our friends' houses, we always like to you know, say, oh, this is great. We're getting candy from our friends. And... Um, when we got to the Gladding's house, um, my younger son rang the doorbell, and I could see through the window that there were several people around the table having dinner, a, a bunch of people that I know, friends of the Gladdings, um, some family members of the Gladdings, and um, I thought, oh, this is so nice, and, and I, as we're waiting for Dan to come to the door and give out the candy, I just sort of tapped on the window like, like this, you know, and of course, at first nobody noticed, and so I tapped on the window a little bit harder, and then somebody looked up, and then everybody looked up, and, they, and we had this nice moment through the, through the pane of glass where they, you know, they raised their glasses to me, and um, I raised my um, Wegmans bag half full of candy that I definitely wasn't stealing from my children um, <laughs> to them, and we had this nice little moment of warmth on a chilly night in, in October. Um, and uh, <laughs> that image of tapping on the window... I don't know if it's because of Halloween or if it just was already in my head, but it wasn't long after Halloween that I was, I was in an appointment with my spiritual director, and I was describing for her a really difficult decision that I was facing. And she asked me the question, where is God in all of this? And immediately, without even thinking about it, I said, well, outside, tapping on the window. <laughs> um, because I realized instantly that, as is so often the case, you'd think as, as like somebody who's in the business, <laughs> I would be better at this. But I had not really involved the Spirit of God in this decision-making process to that point. And I'm really grateful that my spiritual director did what good spiritual directors do, which is not to scold me about that, and in fact to um, prevent me from scolding myself about it. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, she said, actually, that's a really wonderful image for Advent, isn't it? You know, what is the incarnation? Uh, you know, if it's not God tapping on our windows, seeing if God can catch our attention on the first tap, <laughs> or if it takes a second tap, or a third tap. I don't believe that God is a break-down-the-door type of 
presence in our life, usually. I don't believe that God is a sneak-in-the-back kind of presence in our life. I don't believe that God is a pound-on-the-window presence in our life. Sometimes it would be helpful if God was more like that, I think, honestly. But more often than not, the way I notice God is like a tap on the window. It might take a few minutes or a few tries. Advent is a season about preparing for the coming of Christmas, preparing for the first coming of Jesus. And in church tradition, as I've told you the past couple of weeks, it's also about preparing for the second coming of Jesus. You could think about the second coming a lot of ways, but my favorite way to think of it is that that will be the time at which everything is completed. Everything is made new, and the work of salvation of the entire world is brought to its full fruition. These these two big historical moments that we anticipate in the season of Advent are so important to our understanding of the universe, and it's because we are situated in time between them. You might have heard me talk about the already slash not yet state of our spiritual existence. And so as a little Advent reflection, I wonder if you might um, think about the small, subtle visits that you get from Jesus in your own life recently. Those times when Jesus shows up on our doorstep and doesn't rap on the door or hang on the bell, but taps on the window. I bet if you took a minute of quiet to think about that, you could identify some occasions where God was tapping on the window of your spirit, even just this week. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Maybe that's the thing that you need to take with you today. Maybe not. So, um... These two readings that Dan did before the sermon, they were pretty different in tone, weren't they? Did anybody notice the difference in tone between those two readings? I mean, Isaiah 12 says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Ah. And Luke 3 says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And there's all this language about cutting things down and throwing things into fire and What do you make of that? This is one of the reasons why I love the lectionary and sometimes hate the lectionary is it throws these things at you and you just sort of, you either have to pretend they're not there and ignore them or you have to deal with the fact that they give you those two readings on the same day and what does that mean? Sometimes that's what happens in scripture. As I've told you so many times, um, the Bible is not a single book but it's a library of books and they're All these books are written by different people at different times in different places in the world, different states of God's unfolding story, and you kind of have to account for that when you read the Bible. But I really love that about the Bible. It took me a while to understand it, but once I did, I really, really began to love that about the Bible because sometimes you need to be reminded that there is hope for peace in our world. 
that your thirsty soul will find rest and replenishment in the bottomless well that is the love of God. That's what you need sometimes. And then other times, you need to be reminded that you are in serious need of an attitude adjustment. And that actually, you are a self-important hypocrite. Which seems to be the audience that John was encountering in that moment in the Gospel of Luke. That was John the Baptist preaching in that passage that we heard a minute ago from Luke chapter 3, and we'll hear another minute again. John the Baptist, who's understood to be that voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, the precursor to the Messiah. That's what all that business about one who's coming after me, who's greater than me. I'm not even, un- I'm not even worthy to tie Jesus' shoes, is what he's saying. And it's actually that rather unsettling gospel reading that I want to spend um, the rest of my time that I have here with you today um, talking about. And not really just talking about, but actually working together as a community to try to find some meaning in. And specifically, I want to look at the poetry of that passage of Scripture. Now, you have probably heard me say, if you've been around here for any length of time, that if you don't know how to read poetry you are really going to miss a lot of the meaning of Scripture. Now, when I say that, I want you to know that's not meant to scold anybody. That's not meant to uh, discourage you. You know, you're not going to be writing a graduate thesis. That's not the requirement. The requirement is simply to acknowledge and look for and interact with the poetry of the Scriptures. Think of it like um, the way Bob Ross taught painting. Anyone can do it. It's not a competition. It's just for you. And you can read scripture that way too. And you can look for the poetry in scripture that way too. No one is going to grade you on the, you're not going to have to write an essay, you know, delineating all the many different, you know, rhetorical and poetic devices of the authors of this passage, right? It's not literary criticism. I just really, 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 really believe that if you don't try to interact with the poetic aspect of the Holy Scriptures, that you're missing a big part of it. So here's what we're going to do today. There's a hundred different ways we could go at it. But I want to focus on one particular poetic device that I think is present in this passage. And I will call it echoes. So what is an echo? An echo is when a sound is made, And then that sound bounces off a hard surface and reflects and repeats. And maybe the the echo is off in the distance and it's faint. Maybe it's quieter than the original sound. Maybe it has a different timbre or tone. But you can tell it's kind of this similar thing that's happening. And so what I want us to do is to look at the um, reading from Luke 3, specifically trying to find... um, imagery or ideas that echo, that bounce off something and come back later, right? So maybe it's a single image in the passage that appears more than one time. Maybe it's a phrase that's repeated or a concept that seems to be laid out in parallel some way, or if not an exact parallel, kind of maybe this askance parallel. Right? 
Maybe it's two things that occur close to each other in the passage, or maybe it's a bookend experience. Now, you can, you can find these echoes lots of times. And another way to think of echoes, we're not going to do that right now necessarily, is to think of how one passage of scripture, scripture is an echo of a different passage of Scripture. I love to talk about the Scriptures that way, too. We get to see how things connect to each other. But for today's purposes, here's what we'll do. I'm going to read the passage again. And um, particularly if you're a more visual learner, but I, I would actually recommend this for everybody. Uh, you, you could open a Bible to see this text before you. And it's on page 834 in the Red Bibles. If you want to grab one of those, you can find it. It will be on the screen as well. Um, but sometimes it's nice to have the whole thing right there in front of you. And if you run out of red Bibles, there's a bunch of them right here. I I don't know if we have them in every seat pocket like we used to. So I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to ask you to be thinking about the echoes that you see. And then I'm going to ask you to work together in twos or threes to share with each other the echoes that you notice. And when you find them, I want you to speculate for just a minute. You don't have to go real deep on what the... What that poetic device seems to be doing as far as emphasizing a concept. Because this is the thing about good poetry. Good poetry is not gratuitous in its poetic devices. Good poetry uses things like metaphor and parallelism and alliteration to accentuate the meaning of the, of the work. Right? And I think that's what's happening here. So after you've worked in twos or threes for a few minutes, we'll have some of you report back. Um, and I will uh, ask you to use the microphone so folks on Zoom can, can hear okay. And if you're on Zoom, um, I'm going to hold off on like, something like breakout rooms because I know some of you are in your jammies. Um, but if you just want to, you can type in your thoughts uh, of echoes that you notice on this pest, um, passage if you'd like. So after, after you report back, I do have a couple that, are, that I think are really particularly interesting, and I will probably share those if you don't share them. We'll see how time permits. It's usually much more interesting to hear from the congregation on occasions like this than to hear more from me. So here is our passage. It's uh, Luke 3. And what are the verses today? Seven through 18, that's right. Looking for these echoes. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? 
he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not unworthy, I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. So, perhaps you noticed some echoes in that passage, and um, I would like to ask you to share them with each other now. Twos or threes, if you go more than three, it's not everybody's going to get a chance to talk. So here's a hint. If you're a person who doesn't want to talk, like wait till someone has three and then kind of like pull up behind them and just say, <laughs> I know we're not supposed to do four, but I think I'll just listen today. <laughs> All right? Uh, and take, take maybe five or ten minutes. We'll see how long, it, how long the buzz in the room is going. Um, and then I would love to hear your experience with your groups. And a quick reminder that I am asking you to try to find a little bit of meaning in that echo. If you haven't done that yet, you might want to move on to that part of the conversation. All right, whoever's talking in your group, let them finish their sentence and then we'll come back together. All right. Well, I have uh, the microphone here, and I'm going to ask a few groups to share what their findings were of the echoes and what they thought might be the meaning of the echoes. Now, meaning can, can vary. For each of us, we might have a slightly different meaning. I am going to have you use the microphone so that people online can hear what you're saying. I don't always do that because sometimes what I'm asking you to share is kind of personal, and it's easy to forget that this is going out over the Internet. Uh, I don't expect that it'll be too terribly personal this time, but just be aware that this is going out over the internet. Um, so, which group would like to go first? We won't be able to hear from every single group, but I have um, confidence that we'll hear from a few. Yeah, would you actually start by coming in and just taking this, and you can give your report and then pass it to whoever goes next. To whomever goes next, I should say. Um. We noticed our echoes were kind of like the question aspects, like the soldiers, the tax collectors, all coming up saying exactly the same things, like, what should we do? Mm. And we noticed that John was basically kind of giving, to, to us anyway, very self-evident answers. Yeah. The right, do the right thing. If you have to, two coats, give it away. If you're, you know, don't <laughs> steal from people, things yeah. like that. Um, so we kind of noticed those echoes, and I thought it was very reflective of kind of the the idea or the old school idea of what a prophet is supposed to be hmm. kind of like reintroduce the people of truth that they already kind of know and have kind of long you know, gotten away from. So it almost felt like that was like a, a like a echo repeat, like a rhyme repeat question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. Yeah. So yep. 
Thank you. Quick show of hands, did anybody else also notice that, that question and answer repeating echo thing? You may have other things that you want to share about that. Feel free to include that if you do share. Um, but we did see a bunch of hands on that. Yeah, who's next? I think over here, we'll go here and then onto the other side next. Um, I have a hard time with the Bible. So, and, and this scripture was one of the reasons I do. Yes. <laughs> because whenever I read it, I, I tend to go to a place of shame. Mm -hmm. And then, and there was that echo of, okay, so if you don't do it right, you're going to burn. And then all of these people saying, oh crap, how do we, how do we do this right? Hmm. Please tell us how we do this right so we don't get shamed or get burned. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that about uh, yourself and your experience with this passage. I know I could, I could hear something audible and I could see like in people's bodies that you are not alone in your response to that, in that type of response to that passage. Say, ooh. We, um, we noticed the echoes of fire, but used differently. So the first one, it's like the way that a farmer would use fire, which is to cut out the parts that aren't going to do anything and could disease the rest of the plants hmm. and cutting out. And then the unquenchable fire. And I wondered if the Greek fire was different. Hmm. Like, is there different, like, what are we seeing? Cause it's in English, it's fire, it's fire. But we also have like Dante's fire that, <laughs> that, that we think of. And I wonder because of also because of the use of tools, um, Doug pointed out there's lots of tools and we wondered if this was um, put into like farmers' terms so mm. that people could understand what was going on. And yeah. so maybe they would see this in a positive way, the same way that um, Native American and indigenous people would see clearing land and making mm. way so that we can preserve what's there versus the way we see it, which is like hellfire. Yeah, wow, thank you. Um, yes, and so I think, uh, I think what you're saying about the um, the fire versus unquenchable fire is that in Greek sometimes there's different there's multiple words for the same English word. So one case would be love. There's a bunch of different words for love, and there's a couple different words for life. And so if you see the word eternal, the phrase eternal life in the scriptures, it's usually just a different word for life in Greek. But to distinct, you know, make it distinct from the other word for life, they the translators put eternal in front of it sometimes. So maybe you're saying. I think unquenchable fire is like another word for fire, and the adjective is not in the Greek necessarily. I, I don't know the answer to that question. My suspicion is that it is actually an adjective, but I, I would have to look at it to, to find out. Yeah. Uh, we, oh, we had something um, nearby to that. We looked at the um, different types of baptism, the baptism by water and then the baptism by fire, mm -hmm. and found it interesting um, then looking at the unquenchable fire there. So water can't quench this fire. So that showing that the baptism by fire is that much more long lasting, yeah. like just more. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you. So not only two baptisms, but with two different substance that substances that are not actually like harmonious with each other in some ways. Yeah. Fascinating. What else? And then we do have a couple from Zoom that I'll read out after this one. Uh, we were noticing the echoes in the question and answer, um, but also uh, in a little bit of maybe imbibing some meaning into it, uh, each group was like, well, that answer obviously didn't apply to me, so I additionally had to ask. <laughs> so there was some um, thinking that 
somehow they weren't in, right? Or there was something that was different about their circumstances. And then just as an observation, but each of the answers um, had some economic element. Um, they, you know, he didn't give a specific answer to go pray more to a certain group. Each group had some element of, you know, how they should live their lives with their money. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely an echo. And I wonder if your two observations are connected where the, the second group, here's the first group, get told something economic and then they go, well, what about us? What should we do? Because surely it's not economic. And yep, actually it's economic for you too. And then the third group goes, uh, well, what about, I mean, it's nice that they have to do things with their money, but what about us? What should we do? Like, should we just like make bread for people? Nope, it's also economic for you. And all of us are listening to this passage going, Gee, I wonder what it would be for me. <laughs> right? Yeah, it all comes down to the dollar bucks. That's a bluey reference. I don't know. <laughs> Who's next? Let me read out some Zoom while, uh, while the microphone gets passed to whoever raised their, next, their hand next. Uh, one person says, what's standing out to me is the repetition of question and response from different people in different circumstances. Seems like no matter what your position or job is, there's something for you to do in response. And then another person says, um, I think what stands out to me is that God is concerned with how we utilize whatever money and position we have for the good of others. So those two responses are echoing some of what has been said in the room. Do we have anybody else who'd like to share? Let's do um, one more. Uh, so one of the echoes that I noticed um, was with bearing fruit and then kind of going along with what was just said um, that if you have two coats, you must share some with others. And so that's kind of an, a similar picture of bearing fruit and sharing. Um, but one of the differences between those two is that uh, the trees that don't bear fruit um, are getting cut down. But if you think about somebody needing a coat, they might not be bearing fruit in the same way. Um, and there's no mention of anyone being cut down in the actual examples of what to do. Um, hmm. So kind of going along with the idea that everyone has something to give, um, but also that if you're not bearing fruit in the same way as somebody else, you're not necessarily at risk of being cut down. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's a good, um, that's a good place to move on from our group sharing. I think that's a wonderful observation. I have uh, two that I want to point out to you really quickly um, as we close. And I suppose bef right before I do that, um, a word to those of you who have this kind of response to the text that was mentioned a minute ago. Um, this might be some consolation or it might not be. But that type of language um, seems if not always, at least very, 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 very often directed toward people who are very religious and who think they have their stuff together in a way that is not actually the case. And specifically people who, who are lording this religious expectation over others, especially in Jesus' preaching, this is where you get the, the real fiery stuff. It's not for people who are earnestly coming to God or for people who, um, it's not even for people who are kind of like wantonly doing wrong. Jesus reserves that fiery stuff for the people who are explicitly religious in their orientation. 
and who are, are um, treating others as less than, shaming them, if you will, um, for their failures to be as religious as they are. And so I'll leave it to the spirit to, to convict or not. Or I don't think it comes in the form of shame if it's truly from the spirit. But um, my sense is that that type of language is not doesn't necessarily apply to every single person all the time. I'll just leave it at that. So here are two echoes that I saw um, with a little bit of help from the, uh, the old dead people of the tr- Christian tradition. And I'll tell you more about where I get some of this from. The first one um, is the echo between brood of vipers and descendants of Abraham. Did anybody else see this connection? What is a brood? Right? We don't use that word too much, probably. I have um, chickens, and brood is a word that sometimes comes up there. When a chicken goes broody, it's because she really, 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 really wants to have babies, and so she just sits on the nest on unfertilized eggs for 23 hours a day in hopes that they will hatch, and she doesn't understand that the science is that we don't have a rooster, and they're never going to hatch. Um, but a brood, <laughs> to come back to the point, is a clutch. You know, it's a, it's a, a group of babies, basically, right? It's the offspring... Of, of an animal, a brood of vipers. John calls these people who are coming to him uh, thinking that they have the right answers, perhaps. Um, and he says to them, don't think that it matters that you are the offspring. The ans- you know, they have Abraham as your ancestor, right? You're not a brood of Abrahamites. <laughs> You're a brood of snakes. Right? So I thought that was a really interesting um, echo that's not immediately obvious. And then from St. Augustine, this is the response to people. Um, He says, in a word, therefore, let us all listen and seriously reflect with what great merit there is in having fed Christ when he was hungry and what sort of a crime it is to have ignored Christ when he was hungry. Repentance for our sins does indeed change us for the better, but even repentance will not appear to be of much use to us if works of mercy do not accompany it. And I'm fascinated by the fact that John tells these people who, and maybe they're not super sincere, but they're ostensibly coming to repent. Like, you, you're not even ready to repent yet. <laughs> and in the evangelical Christian tradition, we are taught that repentance is the only thing that matters. And what St. Augustine says, echoing St. John the Baptist, is if you're, if you're not doing works of mercy along with that, don't bother repenting. Like, don't, don't even bother trying to have this spiritual conversion unless you're gonna, it's going to make a difference in your life um, and in the lives of others, right? And that comes down often to economics. Right, and the second one has to do with the fire stuff. I know that this came up quite a lot. And I'll, I want to read to you this very brief observation from uh, Cyril of Jerusalem, who makes a connection about the fire here to the fire somewhere else in scripture. He says, John, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, that's an echo of earlier in the story, was sanctified for the purpose of baptizing the Lord. John himself did not impart the Spirit, but preached the glad tidings of him who does, that being Jesus. He says, I indeed baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Why fire? 
because the descent of the Holy Spirit was in fiery tongues. Concerning this, the Lord says with joy, I have come to cast fire on the earth, and how I wish it would be kindled. And so what if it were that, um, <clears throat> that these chaff or these unproductive fruit trees are cast in the fire not for destruction but for rejuvenation and for the giving of spirit and life and gifts and fruit. It's really an interesting idea from Cyril of Jerusalem. By the way, these readings came from uh, this book, which is the Ancient Christian Devotional, and it's based on the lectionary, and it has readings from the church fathers and some mothers um, for every uh, reading from the lectionary every week of the year. And there's three years in the lectionary, so there's three editions of this book. We're in year C right now, so if you were to go to Amazon and look for the, uh, or, or bookshop.org or whatever, and look for the Ancient Christian Devotional, you'd want year C. But if you, like I, really like those old voices from, this, uh, from the history of the church, that's a great resource. Oh, and there's a closing prayer in here, too, that I want to read as our, uh, the ending of our time. O Lord, our God, grant us your peace. Already, indeed, you have made us rich in all things. Give us the peace of being at rest, that Sabbath peace, the peace which knows no end. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.